Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the day that you've given us the opportunity for worship. Uh, thank you that there is an energy released on the Lord's Day among your people by the power of the Holy Spirit as we worship you and as we sing and think and fellowship. So please have your way among us, Holy Spirit, and teach us and take the Scripture and open it and uh, just make application. We Just uh, as we were singing in this room earlier, um, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. I'm talking about joining a throng of worshipers in glory. I, I think of the church worldwide, and my heart is just drawn toward uh, the suffering church in Sudan. Lord, we just ask that you would give protection um, to, to people who name your name, that the gospel would go out. And we ask your forgiveness for just taking for granted the privilege of being able to worship freely. Um, so do not let us be blind to the privilege of being in a country of freedom. And give us heart to pray for others, as we do now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, uh, la last year, one of the greatest baseball players who ever played the game died at the age of 92. He, uh, for 15 straight years, batted over 300. That's amazing. If you've ever tried to play baseball, he batted over 300. In the last hour, I said he batted over 300%. And somebody corrected me. I said, that's three times perfection would be pretty hard anyway. He batted over 300. He came to bat 17,700 times in his life time as a baseball player. Struck out 692 times, which is unbelievable. You couldn't strike him out. He was left-handed, and he was, could hit to the opposite field well because he grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania that had one baseball diamond, and the left field fence was really close up, so he learned how to punch the ball to hit home runs. His name was Stan Musial, played for the St. Louis Cardinals, a great American. In fact, when he retired in 1963, the commissioner of baseball says, said, here stands baseball's perfect warrior. Here stands baseball's perfect night. I think he's right. Because I, as I read about Stan the Man recently, and I read that, I thought, this study we're doing on the Christian in complete armor, or the whole armor, would allow us to say, here stands a complete warrior, a complete knight in God's kingdom. Someone who is fully in armor. And, and again, the only six pieces. You've got to have all six pieces. You don't leave out one and say, well, I like four and not two. You've got to take all six to, to be a Christian in armor. And I've told you before, show you this little diagram, that, that we battle every day somebody who wants to drink us down called the devil. He's a real force. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we fight the world, the fallen parts of the world around us, the, the flesh, my indwelling sin, your indwelling sin, no matter how committed you are to Christ, you still deal with sin and the devil. And where one begins and the other takes over and where one leaves off and the other ensues, I don't know. But it's there. 
We, we, we fight it every day. It's an ongoing battle. And, and therefore, as Paul brings this book of Ephesians to close, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord, your position in the Lord, and in the strength of his might. And as you do that, put on the full armor of God, the whole armor of God, so you can take your stand against the devil. And he says, therefore, you, you take up the, the belt of truth. We talked about that two weeks ago. The belt of truth says, um, I live in the, and operate in the arena of the fact that God has spoken. You take out the breastplate of righteousness, which we studied last week, which talks about our standing in Christ before God. Then when God looks at us, he sees us complete in Christ, the imputed righteousness, a fancy word, imputed righteousness of God, freely given to us, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And today, your feet made ready by the gospel of peace. The only time this word made ready is used in the New Testament. It means prepared. You walk around, you exist in the gospel of peace. You see, as, as we look at this, there should be a sense of, of, of desperation. We should cry out every day, Almighty God, I need you by the Spirit. I was reading Deuteronomy this week in this Old Testament book, the last book written by Moses. Moses is given his final discourse and then handing off the baton of leadership. This is what he says, just a couple of verses. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Moses says, I, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Choose life. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. Wow. He's your life and your length of days. Choose life. And then Deuteronomy 32, verse 46 and 47, the baton is being passed off, and he says, Now take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that you may be careful to do all the words of the law, for it is no empty word to you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land. It's not empty words. It's just, this is life. This is life. So there's, there's a desperation. Oh, God, let me choose life. How do you choose life? By being strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And how do you show you're strong in the Lord and the strength of his might? You put on the full armor. And your feet are made ready by the gospel, the gospel of peace. Now, in the day of Paul, men would go into battle, and sometimes they would have very thin sandals on, and as they would run across a field, the opposing army had planted spikes just beneath the soil, and as you run, you would step on a spike, and it would puncture your foot, and a man with a bleeding, punctured foot is not a very good warrior. Or some people were even barefooted running into battle, and it just didn't work, and so the, the Romans started wearing thick sandals, and sometimes they even put huge studs or spikes in them if they wanted to stand their ground. Napoleon, when he went into, this is an amazing statistic, Napoleon invades Russia in 1816, or 1812, excuse me, 1812, 1812, he goes in with 680,000 
men around there. He comes back with 40,000. 40,000. The Russia winter got him just like he got Hitler. And as they retreated and they were being picked off by the Russians, but, but the, the cold weather came in and, and the men started hobbling because they, they developed an infection that became uh, gangrenous and sometimes led to amputation. And that infection, which is sometimes called jungle rot in the Southeast Asia, became known as trench foot in World War I because in World War I there were men in the trenches. And, and trench foot could happen when it's 40, 50, 60 degrees. But you leave your feet unattended. You don't bathe them. You don't dry them off. You just fight, fall asleep, fight, fall asleep, standing in water up to your, your ankles. And many men were disqualified in war because of trench foot. They had to be carried back to hospitals. See, the feet are very important. North Carolina is known as what? The Tar Heel State. And, and people say, what does that name mean? I, I have no idea. I mean, you, you Google it, and there are all types of legends. But one legend that I'll go with, I am from North Carolina, is that in the war between the states and in the, 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 the American Revolutionary War, the, the North Carolina troops were known as men who did not flee. So they said they have tar upon their hills because there are pine trees in North Carolina. So they're the Tar Hills. And that's the state slogan. I, that's in March. During, or during basketball season, North Carolina occasionally has a good basketball team. And they'll say, and here come the North Carolina Tar Heels. And all over the world, a little child looks at his dad or mom and says, Mom, Dad, what is a Tar Heel? And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> Pass the popcorn. No one knows. And then they got rams running around. What does a ram have to do with Tar Heels? I'm no ram, or they're sheer-footed. I know that. But anyway, it's just a school mascots. Just... Anyway, Tar Heels. So the, 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 feet, the feet are very important. So I want to talk about the resultant realities of having your feet prepared by the gospel of peace. I mentioned four. The first is this joy. Joy. Now what's interesting about the Christian armor, to me, as I've studied it, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet prepared by the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of the hope of salvation, all have to do with the gospel. The gospel. The gospel. When you get the gospel, it leads to joy. I'm going to attend a book this morning. is going to be Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1, the apostle Paul says this, verse 3, grace and peace, okay, peace, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us, from the present evil age. So, so, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all peace, who has given himself for us to deliver us from this present evil age. How are you delivered? By the grace of Christ. How are you ransomed? By the grace of Christ. And that's why Paul could trumpet in Galatians 2, verse 19, he says that if for, for through the law, I died to the law. The Mosaic law told me that I couldn't measure up. So through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. It drove me to the cross. And then he says in rhapsodic joy, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The gospel of redeeming love leads to joy. 
But what happens, and what happened to the church of Galatia, they were all messed up. Some people came in and said, it's fine to believe in Jesus, but you've got to also do certain things. They were called the circumcision party. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to observe feast days and fast days. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And Paul says, if you buy that line, you've been severed from Christ. That's a strong statement. Because you have truncated or abnegated the glory of the gospel. And so the gospel is Christ alone. And then that's why Paul thunders out one of my one of the favorite phrases in the Bible for me. He thunders out in Galatians 5 or 4, verse 15, what has happened to all of your joy? Or another translation, what has happened to the blessing you felt? What happened to your joy? Here's the answer. When you, when you don't get the gospel, you lose your joy. The devil's scheme has always been to silence, to silence the reality of Christ, to silence the gospel of Christ, always. To silence the exclusive beauty of Jesus. It happened on the first Palm Sunday. Christ goes into Jerusalem, going down the Mount of Olives, on a donkey, the people are overwhelmed with joy, and they, they come and throw their cloaks and palm fronds in front of him saying, Hosanna, which means God saves. Hosanna, Hosanna, bless it. Let me just read it. Verse 38 of, Matt, or of Luke 19 says, they kept saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The Pharisees said, said Teacher, they are ascribing that which can only be ascribed to God. They're blaspheming. He says, no. If these didn't cry out, the stones would scream. See, Satan's always trying to downgrade the glory and the beauty of Christ. Always. There's a little book called uh, Getting to Know N.O. or Breaking Bad Habits by a guy named Erwin Lutzer. It's a good little book. And, and he talks about one of Satan's battle plans. Let me just show you part of the book. Let's try here the quote. He says, Satan delights in having believers reconfess their sins. In other words, you know, you, you confess your sin, you grieve over it, you turn from it, you're, you're, you're cleansed. The blood of Christ has covered it. But the, but the devil comes back and says, man, maybe you didn't do it strong enough. Maybe you didn't do it loud enough. Maybe you didn't do it with enough tears. You've got to reconfess it. And so he just browbeats you to death. He says, we are trapped by our own unbelief and become the victim of our own emotions. The result, no love, no joy, no peace. What happened to all your joy? We miserably sit on the shelf labeled unsure of forgiveness, a shelf already populated by scores of spiritually paralyzed believers. Now, some people sitting here are sitting on the shelf of unsure of forgiveness. 
You go to Christ. You confess your sins. You deal with them. It's covered. Do not let the devil browbeat you to death. And here's, let, me, let me tell you this. The, the difference... The difference between the voice of the devil and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The voice of the devil says some stuff like this. You can't be forgiven. You didn't confess loud enough. You didn't confess long enough. And it leads you to despair and despondency. The convicting voice of the Holy Spirit says you, you, sin is obstructing your relationship with the living God. You need to repent and turn from that so you can have full-blown, glorious friendship with the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It leads to hope. It leads to purpose. Huge difference. Beats you up, despair, despondency, repent, hope, purpose, passion. And, and so one resulting reality of feet prepared is, is joy in the Lord. Another resulting reality is, is a desire for restoration, recovery. This is Calvin. This is the gospel kindles a new zeal to seek God in whom each of us may recover, recover, I love that, recover those things which we have utterly and completely lost. The gospel changes us. When our feet are prepared by the gospel of grace, we're changed. We talk about the paradigm concerning a Christian view of life is, is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Restoration. And as I read that, and I, I thought about this, I, and I got this by reading, pondering through the book of Ephesians. And I asked, God, by your spirit, change me. Change me. Restore. 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 Uh, let, me, let me just read a few verses. This is in, I get this from studying Ephesians, that the, 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 the gospel of peace, understanding Jesus is continually restores, recovers, pushes me into the grace of Christ. Listen, Ephesians uh, chapter 1 verse 10 says this, that his plan was to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. Chapter 1 verse 21 he seated Christ far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Our families, our relationships, our jobs, everything sit under the lordship of Christ. He wants to restore the beauty of his reality in our lives in all areas. Chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do good works. Chapter 2, verse 21. Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, the whole church, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Restoration. Chapter 3, verse 19. Paul says, I pray you know the love of Christ as surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And chapter 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when every part is working properly makes the body grow. 
I just read these verses and I say, God, are you doing that in my life? I think of the hymn by Charles Wesley that says, I finished then thy new creation, me. Pure and spotless, let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. I'll never be perfect, but I want to press that way. I'm going to read you a couple of, a couple of banner quotes. One is in the sermon outline, but this is from John Calvin. I've been thinking about this a lot. Listen. He says, It is no less to our advantage than pertinent to God's glory. So our advantage, pertinent to God's glory, that we be deprived of all credit for our wisdom and virtue. Thus those who bestow upon us anything beyond that truth add sacrilege to our ruin. Let me explain that. Calvin says, it is to our advantage and God's glory for him to be worshipped. For him to be central. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God gets the worship, we get the joy. God gets the praise, we get the peace. And he says, when people come along and they tell us how wonderful we are and what good people we are and how wise and glorious we are, he says, they add sacrilege to ruin. In other words, they add blasphemy to tearing us down. So if you have a friend that always says, man, you're great, I love you, wouldn't change a thing about you, you know, they're just adding sacrilege to your ruin. And then, and then Lewis says this in Mere Christianity. This is, he says this. The point is, God wants you to know him. He wants to give you himself. And when you get in touch with him, you will be humble, delightedly humble, feeling the infinite relief of having once got rid of the silly nonsense about your own dignity, which has made you restless and unhappy all of your life. He's trying to make you humble in order to make this moment possible, to give himself to you and to get rid of this, he says, the silly nonsense about your own dignity. Now, I don't have enough time to really deal with this, and, but I'm going to give it a, a drive-by, shout-out type thing. I, I don't hear as much as I did 30 years ago. But we've been raised on this pablum of you don't love yourself enough. I've had a number of people say, well, my biggest sin is I don't love myself enough. What a bunch of poppycock. I was conceived loving myself. I run around the house in the dark when nobody can see me saying, I'm number one. I, I make sure the shades are drawn. I'm number one. I, and I've just thought this about this between the worship services. There's a book that was very popular when I was 23 years old. I was reading it in Singapore. There's a godly deacon who was kind of mentoring me and loving me as a godly guy a thinker, a reader, memorized scripture. He was an executive with Phillips Petroleum. And he said, what are you reading, Buster? And I go, I'm reading this book called Love Yourself. It's real popular with people my age. He said, really, tell me about it. And I told him about it, and he said, yeah. And I said, there's only one problem with that thesis. I said, he's, I said what? He said, it's not biblical. And I went, oh. You know, one of those sitting under the bow tree moments of enlightenment. Oh, what's the Bible got to do with it, you know? I just, 
I need to be so dissatisfied with myself that I run to the cross. See, my problem is not that I don't love myself enough. My problem is I don't, know, I don't glory in the gospel enough. And that's what Lewis says. He says, well, if you really glory in the gospel and you're humble and you meet a humble guy, you don't go around away saying they're a humble person. You go away thinking they're really interested in me. They're not consumed with their self. And like Tim Keller says, there's a gospel forgetfulness that is glorious to people who love Jesus. A gospel forgetfulness. And then the third reality here is that, is that people who, whose feet are made ready by the gospel of peace are peacemakers. They're just peacemakers as they get the gospel. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that Jesus is our peace. He came and he preached peace to those who are near and those who are far away. He says, this is a fantastic statement. He says, he came and he preached peace to you who are far off, Gentiles, and peace to you who were near, Jews, as far as the covenant. For through him we both have access to one spirit to the Father. Both Jew-Gentile are one. No longer Jew and Gentile, we are one. We are one. Therefore, he says, we preach peace. We, we esteem people. We treat people with dignity. We're no longer strangers and aliens. We're citizens of the same covenant of grace. Peace. But he says, you do this as you keep in step or you walk in step with the Spirit. Now, let me tell you a story real quickly. And uh, it, is, it is powerful. It's, th th this story from Galatians, the gospel is in the balance. It's huge. There's a guy named Peter, the chief of the apostles. And Peter was a leader. He was preaching the gospel to Jews and Gentiles, and he was bold, and he was aggressive, and going for it. But a group arose. Groups always arise in the church, and they get outside of Scripture, and this group was called the Circumcision Party. The Circumcision Party said it's wonderful to believe in Jesus, but you've got to be circumcised. You've got to observe feast days and fast days like the Jews do because that's the way you get in the kingdom. And Peter listened to him. And the gospel is in the balance. This is one of the key moments in church history. It's one of the key moments in God's kingdom. Listen. This is, the, this is the Apostle Paul writing. The Apostle Paul is the new, kind of a new guy on the block. The Apostle Paul was a, saw the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so he's not one of the original circle. He was persecuting the church. He says, when, when, when Cephas, Paul, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, the circumcision party, he was eating with Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. 
And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, boom. You see, he says he wasn't keeping in step with the truth of the gospel. You see, people who keep in step with the truth of the gospel love all kinds of people. They say the door's wide open for Gentiles, Jews, whatever your ethnicity, whatever your socioeconomic is wide open. This is an amazing statement. I, I, I confront him to his face. So see, p- people whose feet are prepared by the gospel of peace, and they love the gospel, and they love the reality of Christ, they keep in step, they act in line with the truth of the gospel. They're forgiving, they're tender, they're caring, they're gracious, they're embracive, they're, 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 they're quick to, to run, to help people. That's the type of person I want to be. So I think I think if I think of of, of Peter. I was asked, there's a man in our church who teaches a course on leadership, and I was having some time with him the other day. He said, I'm going to teach on the Apostle Peter tomorrow in my class uh, on how to be a leader. I said, Wow. He said, What hits you about the Apostle? What two things do you really think about or admire about the Apostle Peter? And I went, Well, I'm not sure what I said, but I started thinking about it. I started kind of writing and thinking. And I said, Now, I would say, if you ask me, two things I admire the most about Peter one is he was passionate. I love the passion of Peter. You know, Christ says, who do men say that I am? And they say, well, this, that. And Peter steps forward and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Boom. Even when Peter was being a bumblehead, and Jesus says, you all will deny me on the night he was betrayed, on Good Friday, or Thursday, he said, betray me. Peter says, not me, Lord. Th- these guys might, but not me. I mean, I, even, even in his bumbleheadedness, I love his passion. The other thing I love about Peter, he's teachable. See, a mark of a man or woman who walks with God, they're just teachable. They say, you know, Spirit of the living God, teach me. I need you. Now, Peter was opposed to his face in front of his contemporaries, and he repented. And the gospel was saved. And the gospel has a worldwide impact because right here the church said, you're right, it's faith alone. But whatever you are, every person here has circles of influence. And and Peter had a huge circle of influence. This this passage is very clear that, that when he withdrew, the other Jewish believers withdrew with him. And then this passage says this, and even Barnabas, Barnabas, even the most stellar people, when they take their eyes off the gospel, can drift. Barnabas is described in the Bible as a man, as a good man, full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And that guy, that guy was led astray. So walk in the gospel of grace. Have your feet prepared, made ready by the gospel of peace. Be tender, be caring. Be gracious. And, and, and the last thing I'll just mention is that the gospel feast makes you desirous of sharing the good news. 
Paul says in chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, pray that I will speak the gospel as I should. Now, now church, next week is Easter. Here's a, a plug, strong plug. Dean's already told you we're having three worship services in this room and in the gym. Uh, you have a lot of friends, neighbors, coworkers, and they'll go to church on Easter. Uh, and it's a great day to go to church, by the way. It's a good day to go to church. Uh, bring them with you. We're going to have short services, okay? Be on time, short services. Bring them with you. Hey, you want to know about what we do as Christians? This is Easter. It's a time of celebration. Just bring them with you. And as you bring them, pray that God would open their hearts and ask them questions afterwards. Did you understand what was said? Do you understand that the resurrection, Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead? That's why the resurrection is a big deal for us. The cross, resurrection, ascension, it's coming again. History's going somewhere. It's also a wonderful time for us as his people to step back and say, God, may I walk in line with the gospel in every area of my life. There's unforgiveness or bitterness, rancor in your spirit, and you'll get rid of it. Confess it. Run to the cross. It's done. It's dealt with. If you've been away from the Lord for a while and you say, man, this is a great time to say, you know, I want to be a, a Christian in complete armor. I want to be his. So, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we uh, just stop now and we um, cry out, oh God, let us walk in... Um, the reality of Christ. Let us walk and have feet that are made ready by the gospel of peace. Um, may we be peacemakers in relationships. May we, may we bring embrace and grace to situations, even when there's disagreement. Let people, may we let people really know we love them. Let us never come to relationships and situations where we raise the temperature because of our combative spirit. Lord, I just thank you that there are people here who were born fighters. They came out with their fist up. And yet by the gospel of grace, by the power of the spirit, you have broken us of that. I thank you that there are people here who just walk in forgiveness because they tasted the goodness of the gospel. And uh, well, I, I really pray that you'd, you'd uh, work in people's lives. I pray you would show people the reality of Christ. I, I do pray that, God. I plead for you to work in and among our, our, our lives and in, in the lives of our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, our friends. God, please do that. And please let the gospel go out to the ends of the earth, to the glory of your name. Thank you that you're glorious and you're good and your Father, Son, and your Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you for the simplicity and the depth, the profundity of the gospel. Thank you that little children and day laborers on that first Palm Sunday said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
You're good, Lord, and we praise you. So blessed be your name. Work in our lives this holy week in Jesus' name. Amen.